We do a lot of work to help healthcare providers and professionals in this space understand what's going on with research, understand tricky clinical questions. Um, That's kind of more the, the sort of professional facing part of our work. We also monitor access to emergency contraception in pharmacies because, you know, Plan B has been over the counter for 10 years. And yet a lot of the time when you go into the pharmacy, it's not on the shelf, it's locked up, it's behind the pharmacy counter and they're asking you for ID and it costs 40 to $50 in the pharmacy. So there are still a lot of barriers. And so it's important to us to make sure that we know what those are so we can help figure out solutions. Welcome to How Women Inspire, where women lead, invest, and give. I'm your host, Julie Castro-Abrams, founder and CEO of How Women Lead and managing partner of the venture firm How Women Invest, feminist, social justice warrior, mother, friend of 50,000 plus badass women, and an expert at helping top executive women get on boards and break down barriers for women entrepreneurs investors, and social impact activists. In this podcast, we interview women influencers and leaders from across the globe who are in the C-suite, founding companies, investing, and agents of change. We'll share stories of how women lead. We'll provide insights and data, tips you can put into action, and get to know the women who have fiercely and unabashedly stepped into their power in leadership and open doors for other women like you. We discuss topics ranging from the journey of getting a board seat, how we can counter cultural frameworks that change the way the world views women leaders, what we're doing to close the gender funding gap, and driving equity for women in all aspects of life and career. My goal is that after every episode, you walk away feeling inspired, unstoppable, ready to level up and step into your power and influence. I want to break down the cultural narratives that hold us back collectively and those messy messages you heard that are taking up way too much of your brain space. I want you to know you're invited in because I know that together we can change the culture change opportunities, and create the future we want for our daughters and sisters and friends. This is our time. Are you in? Welcome to today's episode of How Women Inspire. My guest is my hero. This is a passionate advocate for reproductive autonomy, something that has been so essential in my life, and we're all feeling a little a little heart pain right now because of what we've seen gone in our country. She has an extensive background in research focusing on emergency contraception and medication abortion. And she brings an evidence-based lens to everything she does. She worked as a researcher at Princeton University for 14 years. And we're so lucky that today she is running a national nonprofit focusing on access to emergency contraception. She is also an enthusiastic mentor of young people and a grateful recipient of mentorship from other people. She is a mom of two teenagers and two retired racing greyhounds. Got to make sure they're in there. The lover of beach and mountains and a podcast enthusiast. And lastly, she is a proud graduate of the Women Leaders for the World program right here, as am I, that is a fellowship for social impact leaders at How Women Lead. 
Welcome, Kelly Cleland. We're so excited to dive in and learn more about you today. Thank you, Julie. Thank you so much for inviting me. I have been looking forward to this. So before we jump in to the serious stuff, can you tell me sort of what's your celebration song or the song that you use when you need a little bit of an uplift? Yeah, so it's not exactly inspiring, but it's a motivation song for me. So I am Gen X through and through. My song is from Ani DeFranco, and it's called Your Next Bold Move. Aww. And it's about recognizing and fighting systems of oppression that are all around us. And she challenges us to think about what are we going to do in the face of that. And so that is sort of part of what inspires me to just keep going and make a plan and be concrete. Well, that's beautiful. And I know so many of us in the last couple of years in particular, ever since the Dobbs decision came down, have just felt like, oh my God. God, I need to do more. We let we let our eye off the prize, uh, frankly, and didn't believe it was possible that we our rights would be taken away from us. I wonder sort of how often you have people kind of going to thinking of you as their priest and kind of doing the mea culpa, like I haven't done enough. Thank you. But I want to say on behalf of all of us, Kelly, thank you. Thank you for your dedication and commitment and so courageously leading because it is brutal to be leading in one of these organizations during this time where so much anger and hate is coming at everybody. So thank you so much. Does that ever happen to you? Do you feel like you have those moments with people? How do you handle that when you have a conversation with somebody who's feeling like they didn't do enough and you kind of want to say, well, you probably didn't, but let me let me help you figure out how to get on the right side of this. Absolutely. There is a lot of that. A lot of folks had a reckoning last summer that was necessary and of course was a little frustrating for those of us who have been warning about this for so many years. I like, think it's a big surprise. You're like, well, it wasn't a surprise to us. <laughs> you know, to me, it was a bit surprising how bad it was, yeah. the, the ruling, but but it wasn't a surprise that it happened yeah. once Trump was elected. And, you know, what I tell people is that you are welcome to be here. You might yeah. have shown up a little bit late. You might still be in learning mode, but we, but we welcome you to be part of this movement in whatever way you can. We certainly, you know, there are lots of organizations that need money. And if you can donate, that's fantastic. But also, you know, just talking about reproductive rights, talking about abortion, saying the word abortion, and talking about why it's important for individuals' lives. I think that's just one of the most powerful things that people can do and just destigmatize it, normalize it. Yeah, it's just a normal part of reproduction is making sure you can manage the timing. And you and I both have two kids. You can be a mom a fierce mother, and also completely believe in everybody's right to make a choice for themselves when it's right for them. Absolutely. So so you're part of a bigger group of folks as well that are working in this space. How does the American Society for Emergency Contraception contribute to advancing access to emergency contraception? Yeah, so we are the only organization that is solely focused on this one thing. And because of that, you know, we have a lot of expertise My research background really informs the work that we do. Everything that comes out the door is reviewed to make sure that it is accurate, that it's medically up-to-date, and that it's evidence-based. We do a lot of work to help healthcare providers and professionals in this space understand what's going on with research, understand tricky clinical questions. That's kind of more the the sort of professional-facing part of our work. We also monitor access to emergency contraception in pharmacies because, you know, Plan B has been over the counter for 10 years. And yet, a lot of the time when you go into the pharmacy, it's not on the shelf, it's locked up, 
It's behind the pharmacy counter and they're asking you for ID and it costs 40 to $50 in the pharmacy. So there are still a lot of barriers. And so it's important to us to make sure that we know what those are so we can help figure out solutions. You've heard me say it before. My goal is for you to run the world. And let me tell you why. It's not just because I think you're fabulous badass and you know that I do. It is actually protective for all of us. When you have diversity on a board, for example, product recalls happen three times faster. Companies perform better. It's better for people, it's better for profits, and it's better for the planet. We need you to join a corporate board. And we need you to know when to advocate for it in your day job. October 16th through the 20th, How Women Lead is hosting our extremely successful fourth annual Get On Board Week. This week is full of virtual programming, content rich, but also connecting, connecting, connecting. And we know 85% of all board searches, they're word of mouth and through connections. We want to connect you with private equity firms that are seeking board members. We want to connect you with other women board members who've already done it, who are being tagged and can't take all the board seats that are coming their way. We will have board opportunities that we will share with you. Really, truly, this is our way to connect and propel you. This is one week But what happens is people connect with people on LinkedIn or they create mastermind groups that they support each other all year long. I want you to step up and be part of the solution. My daughter needs you on the board. But I also want to inspire you to think about all the women around you where you can be the person who inspires her and says, I see you on a board. I think you should be on a board check it out come and explore invite 10 friends tell them that you believe in them it's the greatest gift you can give somebody did it for you and i want to encourage you to do it for another woman i look forward to seeing you at get on board week so we can get thousands of women on boards this year our focus beyond the private boards that we've always focused on we're adding the private board space it's time thanks for your partnership Send the letter back down and help another woman get into action. Have you found any solutions to that? Can you say to people, hey, this isn't necessary or required? Can you change your practice? Yeah. And, you know, there is some, certainly some of these barriers are based on misunderstanding. These age restrictions changed many times. They're confusing. Some pharmacists still don't know that there's no ID requirement for plan B because at first it was 18 and over can buy it without prescription and then 17 and over for a very brief period. It was 15 and over, which made no sense because 15 year olds have no ID. So there is some element of educating people that we can do for sure. And we have a piece that we um, for pharmacists educate them on the regulatory background, what's legal right now. But we also, you know, a lot of it comes from stigma. And it comes from the high price. And so those are really tough to fight because if a pharmacy or other retailer, Target, whoever is telling you, this is a community in which there's a lot of theft and anything that costs more than $15 gets locked, that's kind of harder to deal with. 
Yeah. So then if you have to ask for the product, you know, it, it is a barrier. It makes it harder. Right. So we're working to find ways where you, especially for young people, where they don't have to go to the pharmacy. Yeah. And that's our, the work that we do on college campuses has really exploded in the last year. We run a project called Emergency Contraception for Every Campus. We work with student leaders across the country who are working to improve access to emergency contraception. So that can look like them advocating with student health to have better protocols for providing emergency contraception. It can look like advocating for a vending machine on campus that includes Plan B or generics of Plan B. And it can look like students handing out emergency contraception directly to each other when those first two things either are off the table or they just want a way to supplement that. Oh, those are fantastic ideas. Are the majority of the people who need Plan B, are they in college or is or those ages? Or is where what are the ages of people who are generally needing emergency contraception? I think it's a range, but I think that 18 to 25 segment of the population is, is a really important population. For That's when I needed it. I mean, you know, it's, it's a time when life is often in flux in many different ways. Not everybody has a consistent contraceptive method. People are still trying to figure out what works for them. Yeah. And so plan B is a really important part of that mix. It absolutely is. And there's also, you know, there's a more effective emergency contraceptive pill called Ella. It is great. It is more effective for anybody, but it seems like especially for people who weigh more than 165 pounds, Seems like Plan B may be less effective in that population. The research isn't perfect, but it's important, so we talk about it. But Ella is not over the counter; it's prescription only. Yeah, and so that still requires a lot more hurdles to get through. Yeah, interesting. Can you share stories about the student leaders that like you said? Sometimes, some but one person is might be able to hand it out to other people. Like, how is that working? They know you've got an every campus program. Yeah. Yeah. Like? So, you know, there's this one young woman who goes to a historically black college in the South. Her name is Genesis. She is known on campus as the condom lady because she started off just, you know, realizing that nobody on campus was providing any kind of contraceptive care. Nobody was talking about STI testing. So she became that go-to person on campus who, who would distribute condoms, who would let people know where they could go in the community. What a great girl. Look at that. She's amazing. She's amazing. And, you know, then she got connected with us through a friend and we helped her set up a peer-to-peer distribution network for emergency contraception. Fantastic. Since it's over the counter, you can hand it out to other people just like it's yeah. in And so she is the only person on that campus who provides any uh-huh. kind of contraceptive care. So there are a lot of women in my community that have some resources and care a lot about their universities. I have, to, have you seen anybody like endowing emergency contraceptives or funding the condom girl on the campus or boy, right? The person who's out there. Like, is there any way that, that that's happening that you can see would be nice and organized? You know, we have occasionally gotten outreach from people who saying say, this is where I went to school and I want help on this campus. We have not yet set up an organized way for people to do that. Generally, people donate to our organization and then we can funnel funds as needed. And some campuses just need a lot more help than others. My alma mater, Georgetown University, is a Jesuit college institution. I didn't quite understand what that meant when I was 19 years old and transferred there. Yeah. And uh, guess what? They don't provide contraception of any kind to students. Oh, my God. That's so nice. 
right? Unless you have a medical problem that even coming up. Yeah. Yeah, Right. And so I was in the second year of the uh, Hoyas for Choice group. It's still going strong. They are still uh, not recognized by the university. They're still working hard to help get information and plan B and condoms to other students. But it's really an uphill battle. So you've already talked about young people and their role in this. Like, what is the significance of young people driving change and making a difference in the world and in this way? Yeah, I mean, I think they are growing up with so many different challenges than you and I had when we were young. And it's certainly not to say that the world is worse now. It's just really different. And they have to think differently. They have they do things differently. I have a 13-year-old and a 15-year-old. So I have a front row seat to watch how these changes are happening. And um, when I look at young people who are 19 years old on college campuses, putting themselves out there, being so bold, being willing to stand up to the adults that are in charge of where they go to school and yeah. say, this is something we need. We demand this on our campus. Yep. Yep. They are, you know, they've got the energy. They, they know they're right. And I think that really helps. And I really see my role in working with young people is just standing behind them and providing all of the supports that I can so that they can do what they see is necessary in their world. You know, it's so interesting because in the early 90s, you know, I worked at the Illinois Pro-Choice Alliance and I, you know, but it was all the surgical or the evacuation abortions, right? That were the story. When we started talking, you and, and other women, I started sort of working on this a couple of years ago, realizing what was coming, I was surprised to see that the pharmaceutical interventions and the, we used to call it the day after pill, right? But that those had really become the critical most, that's really what people are doing today to manage unwanted pregnancies and other pregnancies that started, but they can't, can't continue. It's been such a huge shift and you are such a critical leader in this space. One, I just want to say thank you again, but I also wonder like, it's hard. Like how do you have any mentors that are supporting you? And what are the challenges that you've faced? I mean, this has got to have been, I don't know. I can't imagine being in your shoes in the last couple of years. It's, it's always hard. Really, it's, yeah. It's been really brutal. I mean, I think one of the challenges that we have, particularly with the work that I do, is just making sure people know the difference between abortion and emergency contraception. And just like, because I think what we see is our opposition tries really hard to confuse that all the time. Yeah. Um, Students for Life has now taken notice of what we do. And they are now, they have all these articles about abortion by vending machine, which is not, uh, look, if we could put medication abortion in a vending machine, I'd be all for it. I am for destigmatizing and opening access to abortion. That is not what we are able to do right now. You know, I think in terms of like where I get support and mentorship really very much for my professional community. When I, we are sort of in this together in a lot of really critical ways. And when I look back at where mentorship has come from in my own career, it's been more, I would say, in moments than in, you know, I haven't had like a long-term mentor who really like looked after me and was, was really helping me push my career forward. Some of what I've learned about mentorship has been kind of in spite of the leadership that I had to say, okay, I'm not going to do it like that. But I also remember moments of just very clear 
small things that people had done for me that I think they didn't realize at the time were a big deal. Yeah. Like when I was a researcher and really just doing academic research, the big deal when you're publishing is who's the lead author, right? If your name is first on the publication, it's Cleland et al., right? The Cleland publication. I never had a first authorship before. And I was working with a colleague from another organization. It was our first project together. And when we got to the, to the part where we were like putting everybody's names together, she said, well, you're the lead author. And that is something that just my boss would never have thought of. Yeah. That nobody had ever sort of just said, well, this is yours. You, you earn this. Yeah. Because there's so much weird jockeying for positioning. Yeah, sure. And so that, and I actually recently shared the story with this woman and she didn't even remember it and didn't realize how meaningful it had been to me, but I was really glad to be able to share that with her. I, you know, so, so I think those kinds of moments have a really big impact on me. And so I try to make sure that like when I'm working with young people, that I can do those kinds of things. We have a wonderful mentor right now from my Women Leaders for the World Fellowship. And she has, he, she has been really incredible. Her name is Marian Standish. I oh don't, my God. I mean, <laughs> right. I don't know. The endowment, like what, what, you know, what more do you want? Right. Yeah. And she had just retired. So she yeah. had all this knowledge and she had a little bit more time than before. And yeah. she just, she's, she's been really incredible. And I feel like, wow, I'm, I'm like 50 and I just got the best mentor I've ever had in my life. Yeah. Well, perfect timing as you're everything that you're going through. So you talk about women leaders for the world. This is a cohort. It usually has about 20 women leaders from across the globe. You were actually in a cohort that was specifically designed to support reproductive justice leaders. And it started before the Dobbs decision came down. The ball was already rolling. And I'd love to hear a little bit about what were the the most important elements beyond fighting Marion. And if you were to give a message to another woman leading social impact work, especially reproductive justice leaders, sure, what might your message to them be? Because I think as someone who runs a nonprofit, I know I'm the last person to invest in myself. I always take one for the team. I'll invest in everyone on my staff first. And frankly, it's really hard to commit to yourself in this way. And, yeah. and so bravo, Kelly, for doing so. Yeah, it's a lot. It takes a lot to commit this amount of time. And it sure does. Yeah. And I was very intimidated by the time commitment. And I think a lot of folks were, but I was really, you know, I had no idea what to expect. The day, the first day of our intensive, which was, you know, a four hour session, it was on a Monday morning. And then later that evening was the leak of the Dobbs decision. And so that was the beginning of our cohort together. Um, And it really kind of, I think shaped our cohort in a really important way. Partly, I think they just had to adjust a lot of the schedule and the time and people were not always available, but I was really excited about how much people committed. And I think how much people realized that this was so important right now because of what was going on. The experience was really incredible. When I started, you know, my organization is very small. We are growing, but we are small. We don't have a lot of funding. We don't have a lot of staff. We have a huge mission and a lot of energy around it, but we're small. Yeah. And so my goal in participating in this fellowship was really to figure out how to grow the organization, how to find fiscal sponsorship that would really work for us as we grow, and how to think about sustainability and funding in new ways. And we really feel like we're very much on 
the right track. It's not like there's no switch that gets flipped. And all of a sudden, now I've got a whole team of staff, people fully funded. It's such a gradual process. But having Marion, having other folks in the cohort has really just helped me to think in new ways from putting systems into place, hiring the right consultants, but also just being willing to put it out there. You know, just put myself out there and say, hey, we need help. Will you support us? Are you, do you believe in our mission? Yeah, I think so. So often we can conflate that with support me as a port to support my mission. And so I think trying to like, you just need a sounding board to work through those things, you know, just to reset your thinking, right? And I think an all women environment is just extraordinarily valuable at our life stage, if I That's could say. Right. So if you had a piece of advice or wisdom that you can share with the audience or a message to the world, what would that be? I have a lot of messages for the world, world, Julie. Go for it. Go for it. (laughs) I want to hear it. I I think that in the environment that we're in right now, particularly with reproductive rights, I think we just have to keep going. I think we have to believe that something better is possible, even in the darkest times, and find those little glimmers and find that little place where we can put the wedge in and start to make some change and support other people who are doing this kind of work as well. That's beautiful. Honestly, on behalf of all of us, I want to say thank you. You've dedicated yourself to something that helps us all, helps our families, helps our communities. And we all owe you a huge debt of gratitude. So thank you for your courage. Thank you for your hard work. If somebody wants to support you or wants to find you, how do they do that? LinkedIn or email? What would be the best way for someone to find you? Sure. Yeah. LinkedIn is great. I'm Kelly Cleland on LinkedIn. We have our website is ec4ec.org. And you can learn about our programs. There's a donation link there if folks want to support the work. Um, We've got lots of great media articles on there about the work that our students are doing across the country. Excellent. Thank you so much, Kelly. What a treat to spend time with you today. And I just want to put out my own plea to everyone here. If you haven't donated or given your time around the issue of reproductive justice, now is the time to do it. You're not too late. We need you now. The number of funders that are in this space is anemic and it's not enough. It's not enough if we want to have our rights restored and to continue to have options for our children. So on behalf of all of us at How Women Lead, thank you. Thank you, thank you, Kelly, for everything that you've done for the world. And I hope everybody find the thing that fuels you up where you feel like you can leave the world a better place. And I look forward to all of your success. Thank you, Julie. Thanks so much for having me today. And with that, I want to thank you all for listening to today's episode of How Women Inspire. And because your inspiration should not stop when this podcast ends, head over to our website, howwomenlead.com. Follow us on LinkedIn at How Women Lead and subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast app to find out how you can proactively take charge and step into your power through our workshops and activism in our loving network. We want to propel you. See you next time, ladies. And remember to be unabashedly visible.